Good morning, welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. I'm joined by Mick Lowe's this morning. Morning, Mick. Hi, Steve. How are you? Yeah, bit of a thick head, it has to be oh, said, yeah, after good last lad, night. Good lad, good lad. Friday, Friday night games, um, I do enjoy them. Like we, we, I think that's the first in the Premiership my dad was seeing. I think we had about five yeah. in the Championship. Um, but uh, yeah, a good night uh, had by all, and uh, we didn't get beat, Mick, which is a, which is a bonus, which uh, we'll, we'll get on to talking about now. What did you make of the game? Well, as you say, it was it was a bonus that they didn't get beat because I have to say that up until about the twentieth minute, they looked like doing nothing else other than getting beat. They were getting they were a goal behind, softish goal, but you've seen them scored. Um, but they were getting absolutely mullered. They were get I think first fifteen minutes. Leeds had something like 75% possession and they were just picking us off. And, and, and this whole back five that we've talked about before, the three centre-backs and the two wing-backs who aren't natural defenders, just wasn't working. And Leeds at will were literally cutting through us. I mean, you know, they were just playing balls out from the back four into the feet of, of people like Calvin Phillips. And away they went playing it wide to, to, to either James or to Rafina. Um, and they were causing, causing heck, all sorts of problems. And all of a sudden, you see Graham Jones come down from the stand where he's got the overview. He's clearly seen the problem, um, if they didn't know it before the game already, uh, the way that Leeds played. So he comes down and they drag Matt Ritchie, who I thought was absolutely fantastic in terms of the way that he again drove the team on. Uh, his attitude absolutely personifies everything you want from a player um, who you know is, is trying desperately to turn the ship round as it is at the moment. But he was called across. He was clearly told it's not working as a left wing back. We need to go to a flat four. They needed desperately to throw um, Hayden back into midfield where he's more comfortable to give um, to, to, to give Longstaff and Joe Willock a bit of a helping hand in there. And suddenly it changed. And suddenly we were combative in midfield. We were making a fist of it. We were a little bit more regimentated uh, defensively because prior to that, we just, as we did on many, uh, you know, we do on many occasions, we just look like five fellas just thrown together um, and trying to see what happens and see what comes. Um, and they look, look much better. And then they get the, the goal, courtesy of, without a shadow of a doubt, the, ma the man of the match, um, St Maxim. Um, and, you know, the second half wasn't as great. But, you know, in the end, a draw was probably a fair result. The, th the thing that made me laugh, Steve, was that on TV, I mean, they're absolutely raving about this game. They're, you know, they're talking about it as if it was up there with some of the greatest games in Premier League history. I mean, the first half, I mean, the second half, like you say, it quietened down a bit. But the first half was like a school playground. It was like yeah. jumpers down. You have a go, we have a go. It was like Keystone Cops. It was like a silent, you know, it was like an old silent movie. You expected, yeah. Buster, you expected Buster Keaton to come on as a substitute, you know? I mean, it was chaos, absolute chaos. And then they're raving about it. And I'm thinking, I mean, Carragher must have played in the 4-3. Neville must have played in the 5-0. And I'm thinking, you know, if you ever saw a decent game, how would you react then? Because it was, yes, it was mildly entertaining. But at the same time, it was pure anarchy. It was anarchy that first half. It was, it was never mind Buster Keaton. You could have had, you know, Johnny Rotten and bloody Vivian Westwood come on at one point. It was crazy, crazy. But yeah. you, take the, you take the draw, you take the draw. And I suppose it's a measure of where we are at the moment that leads at home uh, and at below strength and much, much below strength leads. Uh, you take a point. And to be fair, 
they were settling for the point towards the end rather than we were, I think. And, um, you know, if we, if, if we could have just pulled one more rabbit out of the hat with, uh, with St Maximum, you know, who knows, they, they, they may have won it. But at the same time, to be fair, Leeds had a point when they said they were a bit disappointed they didn't score more than one. The big change, of course, was Dolo coming in for Woodman. Woodman, yeah. I don't even think, made the bench last night. Gillespie was on the bench. Mm. Um, I've got to be honest, I did turn to my dad last night and say, I felt if Woodman had been in goal last night, we probably would have lost that. There was one chance in particular where the ball fell at the feet of, um, was going to fall at the feet of um, Bamford, and mm. Dolo just collected at his feet. And I, mm. I don't know, there just seemed to be a bit of a, a newfound confidence. Reliable hands in goal make a big difference to a back four, Mick. I think that might be a little bit harsh, but I take on board everything you're saying. And you're mm. absolutely right that the relationship between a goalkeeper and a back four is key, regardless of, of how good you think the keeper is. A lot of it is mental. As you say, you know, I, I, you know, you get the impression that Jamal Lascelles and Kieran Clark and the likes were looking at Darlow and thinking, OK, I'm a little bit happier with that. We, we, because Freddie Woodman is so new to the thing, I think that was the problem. I think they were unsure. You know, defenders aren't sure whether keepers are going to come for corners. They're not sure whether keepers are going to be vocal. They're not sure, you know, what keepers do in certain situations. They know exactly what Carl Darlow's all about. They've played in front of Carl Darlow often enough. Um, I think as a keeper, I don't think he's hugely, hugely better um, than, than, than Freddie Woodman. And I think you could put a slight question mark against the goal, maybe a very slight one maybe more against the defenders. But you see that goal quite a lot in football these days. Balls that are whipped in, and they're whipped in with such pace and such bend. Actually, if no one gets a touch on it, the goalkeeper who's expecting a defender or a striker to get a touch is suddenly, suddenly caught unawares, and he was. Um, but I think his overall play, and as you say, I think maybe his composure, I think that's the word we're looking for, isn't it? His composure and his maturity in goal made the difference. What I'd like to know is, and I was I was listening to all the build-up, um, and there seemed to be a question mark over why um, Woodman wasn't on the bench. I think it transpired. There was talk of an illness. And I would hope, I would hope that there was an illness. Because I, I just thought, when I saw the teams and I saw the subs, and I saw Gillespie was on the bench, I'm thinking, hang on a minute. You've had a goalkeeper who's been out with COVID. You've had a goalkeeper who's been out for a long time. And you put him in and you put a kid on the bench who, if you had to bring him in to a Friday night Premier League game, I mean, it would be literally like jumping in at the deep end. So uh, I'm hoping there were mitigating circumstances for why Woodman wasn't on the bench. Because if, if he wasn't on the bench because they kept speculating, maybe his head's not in the right place. Maybe he's this, maybe he's that. I mean... I, I think that's a bit of a condemnation of, of, the, of the team selection because even if his head's not right, you've got to have him on the bench instead of somebody like Gillespie who is a million miles away from a Premier League game on a Friday night at St James's. So maybe that will come out in the wash. As I say, there were one or two whispers and one or two um, thoughts flying around that, that, that Woodman was injured and as a result wasn't involved. Uh, in in the squad at all, so uh, I would hope that's the case. But no, yeah, I think I think Darlow made a difference. He, he, he is more of a presence, and especially yeah. when you consider the problems that they've got defensively, you need the best option you've got behind a back four that is already as leaky as a sieve. So, you know, let let's see what he does next game. 
Yeah, Ginger Hoskins says, Mick, is Bruce deluded? Everybody's screaming for him to leave, but in his head, he thinks he's good enough. I saw Jones countering everything Bruce was shouting. It did look a lot like that, to be fair, in the ground. When, when you watch the sidelines, yeah. it can be it can be a tad embarrassing uh, for, for Steve Bruce. And I've got to be honest, at the end of the game, and I did double-check this on the footage when I got back in from, mm. from my night out last night, mm. um, you know, Bruce... Shook Bielsa's hand, and then he's straight off down the tunnel. Mm. And I, I don't know whether this is deliberate, um, but Jones waits. He's patting all the players. He's shaking hands. He's, mm. you know, he's saying, I, I, "Look, I, I, I've I've managed at a low level myself. I know what it's like. You do like to shake people's hands." But Bruce was mm. straight down the tunnel after seeing Bielsa. Graham Jones seems to be there, and just seems to be more of a a hands-on man manager type mm. of person, you know. I think you can read that one of two ways. I mean, you know, I've, I've come on here before, and you know, I, I am a I am a great believer in body language, but sometimes you can you could you can read it wrong. Obviously, you can yeah. read it wrong. You, you, you know, we don't know the individuals that well. And I have to say, when when Jones came down from his his overview to make the change, and they did make the change to go to a flat four, which, as I keep saying, for me was the defining moment of the game. It was a tad embarrassing that all the discussions and all the heated conversations and all the pointing of the fingers and all the cajoling and all the haranguing of players and telling them this and telling them that and moving people around, all of that, all of that was being done by a very, very animated and very vocal Graham Jones. And almost in the background as a shadow-like character was Steve Bruce. But as somebody made the point to me last night, well, that's what he's paid for. He's the coach, you know. He is the guy who coaches the side. He is the guy who's up in the stand for one reason and one reason only, to take an overview. And he saw something that clearly Steve Bruce didn't. And he came down and he made the point and it changed the game. I agree with what you say. And I've made the point in many other, uh, you know, conversations we've had about the body language between Bruce and Jones not looking good. But going back to the point you made at the end, and I'm sure it's 100% correct, maybe, maybe, Steve, they've got to a situation where, as happens at a lot, a lot of clubs, I mean, Manchester United, where Steve Bruce was for so long, is an ideal case in point. I'm not in that for a slightest. I don't want people to start falling off their chairs laughing here. I am not, I'm not comparing Steve Bruce with Sir Alex Ferguson. But there's a case in point. You know, you've got a statesman-like manager who, as soon as the final whistle blows, he's off. He shakes hands with his opposite number, but he's off. Who's left on the field? Your coach, your Brian Kidd, your Mike Phelan back in the day at Manchester United. It still happens an awful lot nowadays. You know, managers want to get back down into the dressing room. You know, they are, whether we like it or not. If you go to a football club, Steve, you know, there aren't that many managers as such out on the training pitch anymore. They've got a million things to do. You know, Sir Alex Ferguson used to sit in his office on, you know, looking out over the cliff and all the coaches would be doing all the training and he'd be dealing with A, you know, X, Y and Z. You know, Steve Bruce probably most of the time does the same and leaves it to Stephen Clements, to to Graham Jones, Steve Agnew, etc. So, you know, it, 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 it isn't the worst thing in the world that there isn't a particularly fantastic relationship between the first team coach and the manager and that on occasions the manager doesn't look like he's participating in what the coach is doing because they do a lot of the time Steve at football clubs have completely different roles these days so you know we we're, you know and and going back to the first point about you know the 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 the, the, the grief and um 
you know, the animosity. Again, watching it, I, I just got the feeling that a bit like many, many other occasions, you know, again, it's the minority who are making all the noise. It's the minority who are stirring it up. But actually, watching the game, you were at the stadium. I wasn't at the stadium. You know, I got the sense that 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 ninety percent, eighty percent of the of the fans were with Newcastle all the way through. You know that that they that they didn't really turn. It was only in that final two or three minutes when there were one or two Brucey out, you know, shouts and and screams and balls and whatever. But I think for the majority of the game, the fans stuck with them. You know, yes, and it, and it started badly, and it could have got worse. So I, I think all in all. The, the expected um, uh, whatever, demonstrations from the stands, protests from the stands, never really materialised. And invariably, they don't, Steve. I've been in that ground hundreds of times when people have said, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and it just never happens. Yeah, I would agree. I've uh, tagged you in something on Twitter, actually, which is just a, it's just a little clip of Graham Jones getting one of his points across uh, during the game last night to, to Matt Ritchie. Um, yeah. uh, people making a big thing about Bruce conceding and just letting Jones do it, but you know if it's for the better of the team, let him crack on. He is Absolutely. getting paid. He is getting paid to do that. You know, Paul uh, reckons the, 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 yeah. the thing that I, I bet you it's the same clip I watched again last night, and I, you know, I agree with everything you said, and I've actually, you know, contradicted what I'm about to say by by saying everything I've just said about the relationship between managers um, and coaches. But somebody else texted me, somebody quite eminent in the game texted me and said, that looked for all the world like a dress rehearsal for, for, for wanting, wanting the main job. Because it, what, at one point, it was, it, was, it was pretty much clear who was making the decisions and who was, you know, who, who was changing the system without really any input at all from Steve Bruce. But, you know, it worked. It saved the game. It got, it, you know, it got them defensively better. So if it works, who cares who does it? Paul says Matt Ritchie's getting murdered every game. Nobody seems to see this. What do you, I mean, look, Matt Ritchie was unlucky last night. He could have had a goal. Um, you know, he, he runs his heart into the ground. Absolutely. His legs, his legs, his legs, unfortunately, aren't as good as they were when we first signed him. But you know what I mean? He, he does his best in, 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 the, in the position that he selected for me. Do you know what it is? If you think Matt Ritchie is the problem, we have got serious, serious times ahead. Because Matt Ritchie, and I'm sure Matt Ritchie will be the first to admit he is not a left fullback. And certainly not at this stage of his career. You know, Matt Ritchie's getting on. You know, Matt Ritchie hasn't got the pace that these young bucks have as either wing backs or, or, or full backs who go racing, tearing past you. You know, for starters, you know, the, 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 you know, the lad's coming to the end of his career. He's been a fantastic pro and he still is. That's what he is now. He's a fantastic pro. And yes, he might get found wanting defensively, but he is literally, he is literally the closest thing we've got to the little Dutch boy with his finger in the dike. And he's just standing there and he's trying to stop the water come through and he's trying to stop Rafina one week. He's trying to stop somebody else the next week. And I tell you what, he doesn't always do a good job and he'll hold his hands up, I'm sure. But what he brings to the team in terms of cajoling people into how many times does, again, talking about his lack of pace at this stage of his career, even if he had great pace, I don't think he ever had great pace. The number of times he's on the overlap putting crosses in. He must have put half a dozen crosses in in that, in that first half yesterday. You know, the, the number of blocks he makes, the number of challenges he makes. 
He's always in and around the game. He's always having a word with somebody. Yes, yes, he's a feisty little character. Yes, he's prickly. But he's an absolute nightmare to play with on occasions. But I tell you what, he is an absolute godsend for Newcastle at the moment because we don't have enough talkers and we don't have enough leaders, Steve. That That is absolutely as clear as the nose on your face. We don't have enough big characters in that team. And he might not be big in stature, Matt Ritchie, but he's an absolute monster in terms of what he brings to that team, in terms of, you know, getting the rest of them going, you know, driving people on, telling people what need what they need to be told. No, Matt Ritchie is far, far, far from the problem. Yeah, Yano says, please don't think I'm just hating on Lascelles, but surely you guys agree he must be dropped. Um, Lascelles fan, Mick, do you think um, do you think he, he deserves the rest? I mean, we've got Fernandez, we've got Shaw. Said it all along, Steve. I mean, you know, he, he sort of got the captaincy by convenience, really. He was, again, going back to the point I've just made about the lack of leaders and the lack of shouters and the lack of ballers um, and, and the lack of leaders, you know, for want of a better phrase. He sort of got it by convenience. I think he, I think he, what he needs to do, first and foremost, is look after himself as a defender. You know, again, he was, he was in and around the goal last night. Um, he is found wanting. What I like about him is, and I, you know, more or less what I've just said about about Matt Ritchie there. The majority of the time, he 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 puts his all into it. I mean, you know, he probably he was probably more effective and as effective in the opponent's box last night. You know, he was always there. He's made one or two blocks. He's not the greatest player in the world, without a shadow of a doubt. But then he is just one of about, as we keep saying, half a dozen centre backs who are pretty much much of a muchness. Um, It'll be interesting to see whether next game up they stick with the back four. I doubt it, but they may do. Um, and when you know you've got a back four, obviously it, it is obvious you only need two centre backs, and maybe then as as one of two, they deem Shah or Fernandez to be a better bet alongside Kieran Clark, or whether Kieran Clark drops out. But no, he's he, he isn't the best, and I can see where people get frustrated. He's a he can be a bit of a show pony. He commits himself. He gets into situations he shouldn't get into. He's not the greatest on the ball. But we're just not blessed with alternatives. We're not blessed with alternatives. And as I say, the one thing that you can guarantee from him, you'll get 100%. And if you think about what Steve Bruce was as a centre-half, I can see why he appeals to Steve Bruce, because he wears his heart on his sleeve. But um, if you're a purist, if you're a purist, you, you would look for an alternative, definitely. Yeah, uh, Mick, how do you rate Longstaff? Lost on occasions, but says Roger. What's your views on Sean Longstaff? I mean, he he had a bad injury. Um, it took him a while to bounce back from it, but um, he's getting a run in the team now by Bruce. Yeah, yeah, he grew into the game last night. But as I say, you know that was that was basically down to to the change of system. In I mean, in the first fifteen twenty minutes, him and Joe Willock may as well have not been on the field. I mean, they were just getting overrun. You know, Leeds were, were, were just in control of midfield. And as a result, we couldn't get hold of the ball. Calvin Phillips is a very, very good player. I heard Gary Neville describe him beforehand as, as the best English midfielder in the Premier League. And it's impossible to argue with that. I mean, he, he does everything. But I'm telling you, once, once Joe Willock and, and Sean Longstaff got a bit of help from Isaac Hayden, you know, Phillips disappeared from the game. Phillips wasn't anything like um, the influence on the game in the second half, as he was in the first, when they had virtually the freedom of of St. James's Park for the first half hour. So they, they sort of grew into the game, him and Joe Willock. They're, they're, they're workers. 
Um, the one thing I would say about Sean Longstaff is I just think every now and then he, he needs to calm himself down a little bit. There were a couple of these instances last night where he's shooting from about 150 yards. You know, I mean, you don't need to. Just play it simple. I think on occasions he maybe tries to impress too much or, or, or tries to, to catch the eye a little bit too much. He's a good, steady away midfield player. And that's all he needs to be. You know, you've got Isaac Hayden there tidying up. You don't necessarily need him to be the to be the ball player. But as I've talked about on here before, as, as, as my ideal three in midfield for Newcastle, I would have um, Isaac Hayden as the protector and the ball winner, Shelby as the ball player, and Willock, hopefully, as the man who makes late runs and scores goals. Now, you know, Sean Longstaff in that equation is the guy filling in for Shelby. And I think that's when the, 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 the decision will come, when John Joe Shelby is fit again. And I have to say, for me, John Joe Shelby would always get the pick ahead of Sean Longstaff. But I don't think, without any doubt at all, it's it's with it's 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 beyond Sean Longstaff to make that place his own if he becomes consistently better. Because you know there isn't an awful lot between him and John Joe Shelby. But I think he just needs to knuckle down, calm down a bit, um, and just concentrate on his game. I think you know. I think again, maybe it's because he's a local lad and and, and you try that a little bit harder. You want to impress. There's maybe a little bit more pressure on you as well. He knows that while Shelby's out of the team, he maybe has to try that little bit harder to make sure John Joe Shelby can't get back in. Um, but either way, you know, th th there's a player in there. Whether there's a first team player for five years at Newcastle remains to be seen. Yeah, are we missing Shelby? Paul Oxley said uh, we're missing Shelby badly in midfield. People call him, but he's our best central midfielder that yeah. can actually pass a ball. Do you think we're missing that creativity that, from him? Absolutely, no doubt about it. Because, you know, I've said that on here before. You know, whatever people think of him, he does something that no one else in that team does. He links the play and he can pass a ball. He's got a he's got a range of passing. You know, you know they highlighted Calvin Phillips last night before the game and his range of passing. John Joe Shelby's the same. John Joe Shelby will pick it up in exactly the same position the likes of Calvin Phillips will, and he'll look. And if it needs to go forty on the diagonal, it'll go forty on the diagonal, and it'll hit whoever it's intended for. You know what he does sometimes is, is over elaborate John Joe Shelby. Um, but I mean, you know, there's there's a case in point. Are we missing John Joe Shelby? You know, in the way that I've come on here in the past and said that Alan's at maximum in some, you know, on occasions frustrates me and he does frustrate me. Um, in the same way that Alan's at maximum, when he's when he's good, he's absolutely bang on. He's brilliant, like he was last night. But when he's off, he's a little bit off. The counter to that is is Miguel Almiron, who when he's good, he's good. And he was good at Old Trafford. But when he's bad, he's absolutely... I mean, last night, he must have given the ball away a dozen times, and in the end, he got hooked. And they had to hook him because he was he was having a terrible time of it. He runs around. He's one of these. He's like the Duracell bunny, isn't he? You know, he runs around, and you think, oh, you know, he, he, and he is contributing into the game, and he tracks back. But the number of times he gives it away, and you just cannot give it away in the Premier League. If you give it away in the Premier League, before you know it, you'll be a goal down. You'll be two goals down. So it had to happen. So again. You know, when Shelby's fit, maybe maybe there's a case for going four four two. 
Callum Wilson is the big, big question mark. I heard it rumoured last night that he might not be back until the next international break, which is middle of October. Now, that would be absolutely horrendous because as good as St Maximum was last night, we we cannot rely on one man as much as they relied on him last night. And he won't be able to turn in those sorts of performances day in, day out, game in, game out. So they need Wilson back. They need Shelby back. He needs options. Um, and if they can sort the defence out and get themselves, you know, somewhere near stable, they might start winning a, a few games of football. Two seconds, mate. Uh, Bruce has no pride uh, and even less idea. The lad has sadly lost the whole realms of reality and relevance. He's stirring pans until another desperate club offers him an escape route. Um, and question, but this is one from Ginger Hoskin. Question by Stephen Mick: As a team of players and manager, aren't they supposed to be backing each other and fighting together? Why is Bruce never with his players? We know he doesn't train them. What do you think of that? Well, you know, we touched upon it briefly earlier, didn't we? When 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 we talked about him going down the tunnel, I think I mentioned it on here um, the other week when uh, prior to the Burnley penalty shootout in the League Cup. Um, they went into a sort of huddle. Jones was involved. The coaches were involved. And Steve Bruce was stood to one side. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, maybe that's the way they, you know, they go in. That maybe that's the way he wants to operate. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think, Steve, off the top of my head, you, you, you know, you, you tell me this as well. Did, 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 do we ever think that Steve Bruce was a, was a, you know, a real sort of in with the boys in with the huddle, you know, you know, arms round players, running on the pitch, patting people's backs. I'm not sure he's ever been that type of manager. I'm not. I'm not sure he's ever been a a real hands-on manager. He's always struck me as somebody who has been pretty much touchline based. Hasn't really over, you know, got overly emotional with it. I don't. I don't know whether that's just me imagining it, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that even in his previous clubs as well, you know, he's, he's not really been one of those uh, for sort of hugging and kissing players um, and getting involved with them in that respect. And I don't think you necessarily have to do that. You know, there are different types of managers um, for them to get their message across. What I would say is to counter that, as I said before, there are occasions when he does look a little bit lost on that touchline and there doesn't look to be uh, an awful lot of, of communication. But, you know, going back to the point about the, the team, again, did you, did you think they were playing for him last night, Steve? Because I have to say, <coughs> you know, after 20 minutes, when the, when the, when the formation and the, and, the, and the system was wrong, I thought this is going to be a hiding and I'm not sure they're playing for him. Once they changed the system, once they became competitive, I thought they were playing for him. I didn't think there was anything wrong with their attitude last night. And I didn't think there was any question at all that they were playing for the shirt, they were playing for the team, but they were playing for their manager. So I, I, I don't I don't believe that just yet. I have seen players down tools. I've seen players stop playing for managers and they yeah. are not they are not downing tools anytime. I would agree with you. I would agree. I mean obviously there was a there was a big expose, another story from Craig Hope in the Daily Mail about you know training ground bust ups. Look, we've been through this, and you have when you were in Newcastle. Training ground bust-ups happen all the time. And if there's one that shows that people care, and and, and ultimately it was with Dwight Gale, who's not getting a, a look in anyway. But it does seem as if there is, uh, you know, a, a bit of fight. And I've got to be honest, yeah. whether it was under whether it's under him, whether it's under Rafa, whether it was under Chris Hutton, um, when Newcastle 
have got backs against the walls. They're at their best, I think, Mick. I agree, a hundred percent, because they've got people in there like Richie, because they've got people in there like yourself. The one thing we haven't got, Steve, you know, and, and again, this is brutally and, and blindingly obvious. We haven't got the quality that better teams have got. You know, we've spent all our money on Joe Willock. I've said on here before, God bless him. He was he was the best thing. He almost single-handedly got us to 12. He almost single-handedly kept us in the in the Premier League with all those goals at the end of last season. But they had to spend their entire kitty on Joe Willock, who isn't going to produce that sort of form again, unless he turns into a world beater. And as I've said before, I don't think he will. But he's, you know, he's a good kid. He's a good player. He's got a good attitude. But the purple patch that he that he had at the end of last season will be almost impossible uh, to replicate. So the money that should have been spent on players just wasn't spent on players. And if you don't have the players, then you don't give yourself a chance of winning the game. Interestingly, you touched on in there, Chris Hutton. I text Chris Hutton in the week to say, you know, Sorry, I didn't get the chance to see you at Forest because of COVID, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and, and he, as good as said in his reply, you know, it was a tough time, but I just couldn't get the players in in the summer who I need. You know, every manager I've ever dealt with at Newcastle United and every manager who's ever managed a football club, Steve, will tell you this. A good team is based on good players. And you can have the greatest manager in the world. And if he doesn't have good players, he'll struggle. You can have the worst manager in the world. And if he has the best players, he won't struggle. It's down to players. It's down to the quality. It's down to the standard of player that you put out on that pitch. And sadly, you take out Alan St. Maxim, you take out Callum Wilson. You know, we are struggling for genuine talent. And yeah. one of those isn't playing enough. And the other is a little bit inconsistent. So... So when it comes to fight, your Willocks, your Longstaffs, your, 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 your Richies, your Kieran Clarks, your Jamal Lascelles, you can't have a problem with them. You can't have a problem with them. They're putting it into the best of their abilities. So, you know, if, there, if, if, if there's a finger to be pointed at the manager in terms of results, then that finger also has to be pointed by Steve Bruce at the powers that be to say, if you give me money, I'll buy better players. And if we buy better players, will have a better chance of winning the game. But that is so obvious and so much the problem that, we, that we're that we almost re reluctant to say it again because we say it every time. Yeah, big shout out to the sponsors, SpiderVPN. Uh, for all your internet security, Google SpiderVPN. They come up at the top of the Google search list. They can help protect your computer uh, from people trying to hack into it. Uh, big thanks to skipsandbins.com, telephone 0800 25 45 25 3, email inquiries at skipsandbins.com, website www.skipsandbins.com, easy contract free and pay as you go waste collection. Also, thanks to LNG Family Funeral Directors, 0191 389 and to qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls and Newcastle. And uh, obviously the people who run our website as well, nufcmatters.com. Thanks to John at Jab Signature uh, for making the flyers for the show. And if you're a first-time visitor to the channel, click the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right-hand corner. And that's it. You can subscribe for free. Hit the thumb up to like the video. Click share to share to your social media. Drop into the comments box to speak to like-minded Newcastle fans. We're also available on iTunes, Spotify and all podcast providers. And... Uh, 
as as always, you know, from our perspective, plenty of questions coming in. Uh, Jonathan Ward says, Stephen Mick, what was your opinion on Sky Sports allowing the fans to voice their opinion on the club? Do you think it was a box ticking exercise or a genuine attempt to have the fans' voice heard? I thought they spoke well last night. Uh, obviously, quite a few representatives there from NUST. Holly, who does the Monday night show with us, was on there as well. Um, what did you make of that, Mick? It was it was nice to see at least the fans getting a chance to say something about the current predicament of our club. Yeah, I, 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 it's it's a nice idea, and it and it was nice for 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 Jamie Carragher and and, and Gary Neville to do it as well, because you know it, it to that re, to that regard, you know they are showing due respect. They haven't just sent any old reporter along to to Vox Pop half a dozen guys who, who were associated with the football club. I meant to say at the top of the programme, actually, the best uh, pre-match performance last night was by young Holly. Because I'm telling you, if you're confronted with Sky Sports cameras and you've got Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville, you know, the, the two sort of mainstay uh, interviewers, compundits in, in, in English football these days, sitting two feet from you, she must have been having kittens. She was very, very good. Very good. The the point she made about what fans expect and what fans don't expect, um, and you know what those outside of the area uh, get wrong about that expectancy and that um, uh, that well those demands by by Newcastle fans was absolutely right. So she did really really well. But you know it, it was a nice idea. I sometimes think, as I said on here when we when we talked about the press conference at Old Trafford. I sometimes think they use it as a as a means to get other people to say what they want to say or get other people who uh, won't be liable by the football club. I mean, what was interesting, you won't have seen the TV coverage, but late on in the game, um, Newcastle had a throw-in down in the corner, at the, the corner of the Leesers and the East Stand. And immediately this banner appeared and it was clearly a banner. It was mags against something, but the camera went off it in an instant there was mags no against masters yeah is that what it was i i i it, it disappeared so quickly off the screen i i couldn't work out whether that was premier league or whatever it was but you know sky aren't going to allow their paymasters to be to be protested against so in that respect you know you say that sky gave due deference to fans and what they wanted to say but they let the fans say it rather than are seen to be implicit themselves. So th th there was never any chance that banners were going to be seen. There was never, you know, there never has been. You know, and to be fair, as you say, you, you, you know, you, 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 don't, you don't go against your paymasters. But it was nice of them to do what they did. Alex Hurst, I know quite well. Um, Thomas Concannon. I think the last time I saw Thomas Concannon, he was about 15. Uh, he'd sort of, gr he'd, he'd grown into a full-blown man. For, I remember him back in the day on trains going away to games and he was he was a bear you know so but yeah but it was it was it was nice to see them they put their points across but they weren't really saying anything that we didn't know already and and as i say i think they you know they were sky were using the, the guys to say look you know we haven't got a, a problem necessarily with x y and z but, but it's it's the owner that's the problem and and, Gar and to be fair gary neville himself said after the game this is a great club. You know, it might have been before the game or during the game, whenever. You know, this is a great club. It just needs to be sold. It needs a new owner. It needs a new injection. Um, it needs somebody to invest in it. Um, and again, the point was made, I think, when they were talking about the club being sold. Interestingly, I came on here I think, last time or the time before and talked about him selling the club and said then, you know, he wants to sell it, reduce the price. 
and suddenly that was being talked about last night as well. So, you know, clearly everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet. You know, if you want to sell it, mate, reduce the price, get it sold, and we can all move on. Yeah. Um, I'll take Darren's second part of the question. What do you think Gail's got to do to get a game? I would, I would, it sounds a bit, it sounds a bit callous, but improve. Um, uh, you know, Dwight Gale will score goals at championship level all day. Um, and, uh, you know, has been found wanting at Premier League level on, on many occasions. Um, he is also, uh, he's quite a difficult character. In my experience, in my experience of him, he's quite a difficult character to get through to, to relate to to get the message across. It didn't surprise me in the you know, in the same way. I don't like the stories. I, I'd, I'd love this snitch or this whoever, whatever you want to call him at the training ground who keeps giving stories to the Daily Mail. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to, I'd love him to be exposed for, for what he is. Um, but it didn't surprise me when hot on the heels of, of Matt Ritchie having a bust up because Matt, Rich, Matt Ritchie's feisty. It didn't surprise me that the next character in the frame was Dwight Gale because Dwight Gale's difficulty, you know, he's he, he's a similarly feisty. No, he's not so much feisty; it's just tough to get tough to get to know, sort of thing. Yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, and I know where everyone's coming from because if there's one player who I am a critic of, as we all know, it, it's the big Brazilian who, again, last night, you know, there, there, there was more chance of me scoring from 120 miles away than there was of him scoring. So, you know, yes, he did one or two things. But he's paid to score goals. He's paid forty million pounds to score goals. Then people start saying he's not a goal scorer. But seven goals—or was it six goals in seventy-four games? Believe me, you know the majority of people have been binned by now. But I just don't think they can get rid of him in the current climate. Um, but I, I, what I, what I'm trying to say is that he has to be as good a bet as as, as Dwight Gale. I heard Steve uh, as uh, as Joel Linton. I heard Steve uh, Howie say in the week quite rightly that the one thing, even if Dwight Gale doesn't particularly contribute, even if he's not really a, a, a premiership standard player over 90 minutes, week in, week out, if a chance falls to him, you'd rather have a chance fall to him than Joel Linton. And chances do fall to players, um, you know, and they need to react and they need to finish them. And, and your money would be on Dwight Gale ahead of Joel Linton every time. But clearly... You know, Joel Linton brings a bit of height. He brings a bit of power. He, he disrupts defences. If, if if nothing else, he's a distraction, which allows whoever's playing up there with him a little bit more time. I'm not sure Dwight Gale brings that. So, no, I, I, I mean, I just didn't understand. If you, I mean, the, 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 the greatest indictment, Steve, of course, and we've said this before, is if you're not going to play him, why give him a contract? You know, they, they, they wonder why there's no money for players. And they give a contract to somebody who sits on the bench and never even moves. I mean, he, yeah. what's, he, what's 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 Dwight Gale pulling in? You know, thirty, forty thousand pound a week, two million pound a year. The only thing I can think of, Mick, is that there must be some kind of clause in his contract which stipulates that if he plays X amount of games, he's going to get he's going to get a pay rise. You know what I mean? They, they clearly give him a new contract, thinking that right. we're going to be able to sell him. They couldn't sell him because he gets paid too much, and it wouldn't surprise us if he's going well, to get a pay rise if he plays X amount well, of games. Well, if that if that's the case, he's got the greatest agent in the world. Whoever <laughs> whoever his agent is, he should be paid in bucketfuls of gold because if he's managed to if he's managed to wangle a deal like that for a player who, as I say, is 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 very good at championship level. 
that has proven to be wanting time and time again at Premiership level, then fair play to him, fair play to his agents. But again, again, whoever's signed the deal, whoever's done the deal at Newcastle, if it was the same person who did the deal with Joe Linton, then as, as I've said before, they shouldn't be anywhere near the, the corridors of power at St James's Park. Any thoughts on Willock? Uh, Billy's asking, do we think the minutes in Willock's legs have led to better performances? Yeah. I thought he was much better last night. I mean, he's not banging the goals in, but we're playing different, you know, playing in a different style. We're missing one main striker. Um, what's your thoughts on Willock so far? I, I, I made the point in the summer, Steve, and I made the point when it was it was up for grabs whether he was going to sign or not. Do you know what it is they say in football, uh, and, it, and it's true to just about anything in life, you know, it, it's it's easy to win something, it's to retain it. So when Manchester United, ironically, with Steve Bruce, hadn't won the, the, the first division title all those years, when they won it, first first season of the Premier League, it was one thing to win it, but everybody said, quite rightly, the test is to retain it. They ended up winning it seven of the first nine seasons. And retaining something is the hardest thing in the world, in any sport, in, 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 in football in particular. And it's the same as an individual. When there's no expectancy on you, when you're trying to win something, when, you, when you're trying to prove yourself, then that's easy. It's then backing that up time and time again. And Joe Willock did brilliantly well to win himself a contract, to win himself a deal to Newcastle. He wanted to go to Newcastle. It was good for his career. It was probably good for him as a person to get away from London. He speaks brilliantly well. I listened to him on the, on the BBC Newcastle phone. The kid's exceptional. But the level of pressure on that kid now, Steve, believe it or not, is up there somewhere now because he's expected and fans want the Joe Willock who scored all those goals at the tail end of last season and kept Newcastle in the Premier League. And as I keep saying, it's going to be almost impossible for him to replicate that form. Last night, he starts the game playing in centre midfield alongside, as we mentioned earlier, probably the best English midfielder in the country at the minute. Now, that's tough. That's tough. He's, he's a young man finding his way. He's, he, he has played very few Premier League games. Suddenly, he's up against Calvin Phillips. He needs help. He needs to develop. He need, he need, they needed to put Isaac Hayden into midfield to sort of look after him, along with mm. Sean Longstaff. There's very definitely a player in there, Steve. As I say, to what level he gets to, I don't know. But at the minute, for me, there's absolutely no doubt the kid is, is trying his utmost to, to, to do what he did at the end of last season. And sometimes that's just not possible. And he knows everybody wants him to. And he knows everybody expects him to. And it must be the hardest thing in the world. If if you've hit the heights, it's a, it's a bit like turning in an Oscar-winning performance in a film and then getting a bad script and trying to replicate it again. You, you can't do it. You can't do it. So your heart goes out to him to a degree. But as I say, he seems to be level-headed enough. He seems to be mature enough. He's clearly got ability because you don't score the goals he scored at the end of last season if you haven't got the ability. It's just, I think, a little bit like Sean Longstaff when I said earlier. I think he just needs to breathe. I think the pressure that's coming down on Bruce, the pressure that's coming down on the team, the pressure that's coming down on the club then manifests itself in individuals as well, and especially young players. And I think Joe Willock's feeling the pressure. I think the likes of Longstaff are feeling the pressure. You know, you said maximums of this world. Almiron looked last night like he was trying too hard. They're desperate to win games. They're desperate to win games for the fans. They're desperate to win games for the manager. And they're desperate to win games for themselves. And sometimes you can just tr try too hard. But he'll come again, Joe Willock. He's a, he's a player. Absolutely, absolutely a player.
Jonathan Ward wants to know, without ASM in the team, do we have anyone you think that can genuinely step up and be a game-changer winner? Um, you're shaking your head, Mick. Well, because, as I said earlier, you know, without Callum Wilson, you know, last night it was it was, it was was pretty close to a one-man show. I mean, he was brilliant, but, you know, you, you just spent the whole game saying, give it to ASM, give it to St. Maxman, because when he's hot, He's absolutely unplayable. You know, you, you know, you talk, you know, you going back to, to to Neville and Carragher. These are top top players, but they are waxing lyrical about him, and 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 they and they weren't doing that out of any sycophantic and and trying to talk up the game and trying to you know trying to win favour and maybe give Steve Bruce a, a helping hand because you know it was there for all to see. He got on the ball. You know, we've all seen them, Steve, over the years. Players who get you on the edge of your seat. Players who do something. You know, and sometimes they do things that you think, well, just tackle him. Honestly, you can't. You can't. Sometimes they make it look that easy. You know, you know, he was absolutely out of this world. But he can be a little bit inconsistent. But, you know, going back to the question, he is, he is, our, he is our one one shining light in that respect. Wilson is top quality, but Wilson does what Wilson does. Wilson puts the ball in the back of the net. Shelby, for me, is our one um, uh, creative midfielder who can pass a ball and pick a pass. But he's the one who can change a game. He's the one, if you give him the ball, there's every chance that something can come from nothing. Time and time again last night, he picks it up out wide. He takes players on. His pace is electric. His, 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 his pass selection last night was better. Sometimes that lets him down. Sometimes he runs down cul-de-sacs. Sometimes he runs down bloody ring roads. But other times he gets it right. And he got it right last night. And when he gets it right, your, your, your big fear watching the game last night, Stephen, I'm sure I'm, I'm not alone in this. And I'm sure there were probably 30 of the 50,000 watching it thinking, we won't be able to keep hold of him. You know, next transfer window. If he keeps playing like that, Steve, I'm sorry. Someone's going to come knocking. Absolutely. 100%. No, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I'm talking top, top teams as well. So Yeah. He'd fit into Man City. He'd fit into Man City, Liverpool, any of those teams. He'd fit in anywhere. He'd fit in on his day. He'd fit in anywhere. Um, and and that's, the, that's the double-edged sword. You want him to play well. You want him to win games. But all he's doing, believe me, is putting himself in the shop window and he's getting bigger and bigger and his reputation's getting better and better. Yeah, Paul uh, talking about the protests. He's saying Toon fans bottle protests because they don't want to lose season tickets. Totally get that. So let's block roads outside, get kickoff delayed when the next live game is on Sky. I mean, look, um, I'm not going to endorse anything which is going to, you know, cause any problems for Newcastle United as a football club outside, you know, outside the ground, inside the ground. It's up for other people. They want to do stuff like that. And I, I, yeah. I totally get why people want to protest. Protest NUFC suggested last night that people take whistles into the ground and do paper aeroplanes. Probably about 25, 30 paper aeroplanes, I think, made it down onto the pitch. I, I, look, I'm not going to criticise them, Mick. People, people, at least people are trying to do something. Um, there, there was plenty of people blowing whistles uh, in and around the ground. I think last night, but Leeds United fans were so vociferous throughout. Um, Gallagher were backwards and forwards with the Leeds fans. It all paled in insignificance, yeah. really. So, what do fans do? I mean, you know, how how can fans make a difference, Mick? It's 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 a, it's a nightmare, isn't it, really, for us as a fan two, as a fan base? Yeah, two, two two phrases spring to mind immediately, Steve. Uh, fall on deaf ears and banging your head against a brick wall, and I'm telling <laughs> and I'm telling you, 
there is a massive, massive, massive understatement in both of those if you apply those statements to Mike Ashley. Fall on deaf ears, they don't even fall on ears because he's never at the game, he's never in the ground, he's never in the area, he's probably very rarely in the country. And as for banging your head against a brick wall, again, you could stand there for another 10 years and just keep banging and and it, 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 wouldn't make, it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference. You know, I, I've been critical on occasions uh, of Newcastle fans about how splintered they've been in terms of um, trying to get together, trying to trying to have some sort of concerted protest. But increasingly, Steve, I'm beginning to wonder whether it would make the blindest bit of difference because I don't think in some ways there's a conscientious or human bone in his body. Uh, you know, it, I just don't think he cares in that slightest. I don't think it, even if it got personal and you wouldn't want it to get personal and you certainly wouldn't advocate it getting personal uh, because that is wrong. And in the same way that I think fans are getting way too personal on occasions with Steve Bruce, I think that's wrong. You shouldn't get personal. You, you know, if, if you want to protest, protest against the regime or protest against the way the club is being run. If you want to protest against the manager, protest against the results because he'll take that. Protest, protest against the performances, he'll take that. But not, not personal, not, not fab when families are involved and not even personally with Mike Ashley, who probably doesn't hear or see more than about 5% of it. So it's, it is the million billion dollar question. You're absolutely right, Steve. How do we try, try to force the issue? And I just the only the only thing you can think of is if somebody somewhere can find somebody with 250, 300 million and persuade them to buy Newcastle United. Because other than that, I, I just I can't for the life of me think about it, you know, and, and, and the protests last night. Yes, they were a little bit token, but, but pe people have people have been anaesthetized, Steve. People have been anaesthetized. They don't. They don't feel it anymore because he's just he's just run them into the ground. Um, it, it, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Nothing will change. Nothing will change uh, until there's a change of owner. Uh, thoughts on the referee, Mark Edward Brown says. Any comments on last night's terrible referee performance? Getting oh, in the way of players. Oh. No booking for Leeds players. Kicking the ball away. Pulling the short to Joel Linton. He was shocking. Do you, was know, it, what it, it, <laughs> do you know what it is? Do you know what I couldn't stop thinking of? And it just made me worse. It just it just made my blood boil even more. That remember the picture of him when he went to see Tranmere in the in some sort of playoffs or what because he's a Tranmere fan, Mike Dean. And he had his jeans and t-shirt on and he's giving it that. And I'm thinking, all right, we want our we want our officials to be human and we want our officials to to show that they're football fans and go to football games. Haven't got a problem with that. But that and the performance last night allied together. It was like me, 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 me. One of these referees who's just not happy unless everyone's talking about him, unless he's the centre of attention, unless he's making decisions, unless he's got his arm round a player and he's laughing. There was one conversation he had with Luke Ayling. And I swear to God, it was like two blokes having a conversation down the pub. It was like, all right, mate, yeah, you. Had a bad tackle, that wasn't it? Oh no! Did you think so? Yeah, come, come on, let's get on with it. You know, and I, he was driving me mad. And then he kept making bad decisions. And when he got in the way of of, of what was a, a perfectly good pass, 
No, no. I think, I think again, one of the pundits said afterwards, the standard of refereeing has been very good at the start of this season. But last night, it's almost like he stopped refereeing the game and just went, look at me. Here I am, Friday night, St James's Park, big crowd, Mike Dean. No, poor, poor, absolutely poor. Yeah, he was. Uh, did you think the team looked a bit fitter last night, Mick? I think it's. A, I think it was a. I think it was a good. It's, it's always a good yardstick. They're probably the best yardstick, of course, and in, in in the Premier League, as to if you think there's a a question mark against the fitness of your team, or if you think they're not being trained properly, or if you think you know one of them, one or two of them aren't putting it in. The team you want to play, Leeds United, with with Bielsa playing murder ball with them all week and running them up and down hills and running them three thousand. 3,000 miles. Oh, they were talking last night about murder ball. Uh, you know, it was Liam, Liam Cooper was saying it's our favorite time of the week, murder ball, because we play four five minute murder balls. <laughs> There's no such thing as fouls. There's no such thing as fouls. Bielsa doesn't even ref it, he just lets them go at it for, for like these little five minute games. And he said they love it, they absolutely love it. Um, so you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna measure yourself physically against any team in the Premier League. Do it against Leeds because I mean there were a couple of breaks they had on last night. You think, dear me, you know, one minute it's in the hands of the Leeds keeper and there's eight Newcastle players in the final third. The next minute they've got five on the edge of our box who are queuing up. It ends up with the left back putting one over the crossbar, a la Chris Waddle in Turin from about ten yards. But honestly, they were they were queuing up while we were trying to get back from from our own half from from their own half. But no, I, 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 I mean it. Took, I mean, it, I mean, I don't think fitness is a problem. What is a problem is the pace and the lack of it in our defence. And that sort of made the point there about every time they broke on as Leeds United. You know, we've got Lascelles and Clark at, at centre-back, not the quickest in the world. We've got, we've got midfield players filling in at, at full-back left-hand side through Matt Ritchie. We've already talked about that pace. Um, and right full-back, you know, you know, I talked about Mankio last time, and, and and you know, and he he stayed with Mankio, but Mankio was 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 in and out. Mankio was lucky last night because I said beforehand I thought this would be a test because young Daniel James, who they brought back from 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 Manchester United for twenty five million, I had visions of him ripping us apart last night, and I, I, he barely touched the ball. I don't think Mankio had to make a challenge, and in the end, he was hooked. I I, I can only think that Daniel James isn't match fit because he's. He's only just made the move from Manchester United where he wasn't getting a game. Yeah, but he was he was he was completely out of sorts. So you couldn't really judge the right fallback. But no, I don't I don't I don't think we're necessarily lacking fitness, but we are lacking pace in terms of a back four. Where's the first win coming from? Says Alan. It's got to be next week at Watford, Mick. It's a it's a it's a good question because funnily enough, when I was looking at the fixtures beforehand, you were thinking, all right, the first four or five aren't bad. But what I was saying was, and I think this this is this is to answer your question, the Watford and Wolves away games will almost wholly depend. It sounds stupid. It sounds obvious. Will depend on the results in the first five games. Now, the fact that we haven't won in the first five suddenly makes Watford nervy. Suddenly makes Watford edgy. Suddenly makes Watford all not must win, but getting closer to it. Uh, and and Watford are a strange beast, you know. Watford can be as exciting on the day as they can be awful on the day. Watford can be as good as they can be poor. You know, I'm told that Musa Sissoko, who has gone there, was brilliant last time out. 
So, you know, what what price a former Newcastle player again coming back to haunt them? But, you know, I think the bottom line is, Steve, when you, when you say things like, surely got to win at Watford, I'm afraid those those three or four words, surely got to win, went out of Newcastle's vocabulary about four years ago. You know, there isn't any such thing uh, as a as a game that, you, you know, once upon a time, Leeds at, at St. James's Park would have been, you know, you put it down as a W. You put Southampton at home down as a W. West Ham once upon a time would definitely have been a W at St. James's Park. You can't put a W against any fixture these days. You know, and we're not the only ones. You know, we're not the only ones. But at this minute in time, we're very definitely one of the ones in that bottom three who you couldn't say with any certainty whatsoever whether they'll win or not. You know, it's, it's funny because the run is now, what is it, seven, seven Premier League wins in 34 for Steve Bruce. Ironically, going back to a 5-2 defeat by Leeds last year. So he's won seven uh, of 34. And when you consider five of those were in the last eight of last season, you know, the stats are beginning to, to, to mount up. And I had a quick look in the week because it suddenly, it suddenly started playing on my mind. What was Bobby's record when he got the sack? He got the sack at the end of August. So he got the sack not far away from where we are now. He had won two of 13 and had won only one of five at the start of a season. And there was that talk that he lost the dressing room. But he'd finished fifth the previous season. And going back to the word we used earlier, expectation, there's one thing to talk about the expectation of fans and get it wrong. And there's one thing to talk about the expectation uh, of supporters and, and, and what supporters believe to be, uh, you know, how Newcastle should play, how Newcastle should get results. But it's the expectation of the owner, which is more important. And the expectation of Sir John and Freddie Shepherd back in the day was that we should always be a contender. We should always be somebody who finishes top six or should qualify for Europe or certainly finish top half. And as a result, good managers got the sack because they weren't doing that. The expectation levels now with this owner are so low, as we all know, it's all 17th and upwards. And that's fine. 17th survive. It's fine. So we shouldn't be surprised. You know, when, when I'm thinking, God almighty, if Bobby Robson had the record that Steve Bruce has got, there's no way he'd be in a job. You know, but actually, it's a different regime. It's a different time. So, you know, you know, Steve Steve Bruce is going to hang on to a job for the foreseeable future, I'm sure, um, because the owner has no interest in getting rid of him and feels he has no need to get rid of him. Great stuff, as always, Mick. Um, I'm going to Watford next Saturday for me sins. So, Good if, if you're up, for, if you're up for it next Sunday, mate, have a, a look back at that game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, can I just say a couple of other things? Just one Go thing. Go for actually. it. I don't know whether anyone's seen it online or seen it in the news because um, I'm down here in the Midlands. Um, our great mate, and we talked before about players who wore their heart on their sleeve and players who played for the club and played for the, for the shirt. Uh, James Perch, good old Perchino, suffered a fractured skull in training in the week. Uh, oh. And he's, uh, he's at Mansfield now. Funny enough, I was due to go through to see him uh, a couple of weeks ago when they played Harrogate and couldn't get through. Um, and he said, I'll sort you out and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I sent him a text and I said, I said, all, all black and whites will be, will be pulling for you. I think he's OK. I think he's OK. He texts that he, he thanks the medical staff at Mansfield and he wishes the lads well for the rest of the season. But he obviously won't play again. But he suffered a fractured skull. So if any if anybody feels the, the need to 
to give Perchy or something, or, uh, 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 some some sort of uh, some sort of support online, just to say get well soon, mate, or whatever. He was a good servant to Newcastle. He, you know, he was going back to to the Matt Riches of this world. He always, always put it in Perchinio, and obviously got the nickname Perchinio uh, from from those on Tyneside. So get well soon, uh, James Perch. And get well yeah, soon. We'll talk after Watford. Great stuff, Mick. Have a good right, week, mate. Take care, pal. See you later. Critics attack.